0: You did a lot there, Alonzo. Appreciate all that. I appreciate all of that. Yeah. Hey, well, um, I, I think I can say this now. Merry Christmas. Are we there? Yeah. Can we start early? Come on. This is the first uh, week of Advent, if you didn't know. And um, we just had Thanksgiving. And at the end of the parade, I, I did see Santa Claus. And so I feel like we're, we're there, right? I feel like it is close to Christmas uh, for us. Um, but it's it's great to journey uh, with our church family together. We know that some are traveling during the season. We got visitors that are traveling here, so it's going to be a good journey for us over the next few weeks as we celebrate this Advent season, as we celebrate Christmas, and of course, as we celebrate Jesus, our Emmanuel, who has come to be with us. Uh, my name is Chris. I am the pastor here at One Community Church. i so thankful um, that you are here worshiping with us today. Um, we've been studying in the book of Ephesians in a series that we have called Masterpiece in Progress. And the big idea of the entire series and really this book is that we are God's masterpiece, the church. We are God's masterpiece. We are his work, and he has designed his work, his church, to change the world. And so Paul writes to this small little house gathering in Ephesus, this small church in a big influential city, and says that God is painting a masterpiece, and it includes you, because he's going to use you to change the world. I think God has the same message even for us today. Um, today we come really to the um, last uh, sermon in this series as we study through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 uh, through 20. And we will see a new image that Paul gives to us as we are to understand the church. Um, he picks up on some themes that we have been developing, that we've studied over the past few weeks, that will be helpful for us as we understand our role as this masterpiece and what it looks like for us to step into the responsibility of changing the world. And so I'm going to invite my friend Micah uh, to come. He's going to read uh, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And um, as he gets ready there, I will pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We know that in it is life itself. And so we come today, quieting even our own heart um, so that we can hear from you. Father, I pray that uh, we would hear from you, that we would listen
1: and that we would obey. Praise in Jesus name. Amen. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his best strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with re- in- with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to to speak about it as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Just down the block here
0: in Hell's Kitchen on 46th Street, at Pier 86, you can find the USS Intrepid. It is an aircraft carrier, but now it has become the centerpiece of the Sea, Air, and Space Museum. It has fought in World War II, surviving five kamikaze attacks and one torpedo strike. The ship later served in the Cold War and the Vietnam War. As it was decommissioned before it was a museum, the USS Intrepid served as a NASA recovery vessel in the 1960s. More than 50,000 men served on board the Intrepid during the ship's time in service, and more than 250 men paid the ultimate sacrifice. It's pretty impressive when you see it, to know that this vessel has been in battle, has been in war. We'll get to the NASA part of this a little bit later on today, but we do see a pretty impressive figure as we look at the pier on 86 there and we see the USS Intrepid. It reminds us of a battle that we may even be in today, one that we may not see, but one that is truly there. It's the image that Paul gives in chapter 6 of the mission that he has given to the church, that he has truly called us into a battle. And so what he does for us in chapter 6 is that he gives us some notes, some instructions, of what it looks like for us to fight, to be a part of this battle. Verse 10 in chapter six, following there through verse 13 says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle or our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. The point is that we, the church, would stand. We would be found standing in this battle. And so in doing, in in, in preparing for that, we see Paul give us some instruction on what we should do, what we should be aware of. The first thing that I want to mention today is that we we struggle, we battle against things that we cannot see, the devil and evil powers. We see this in verse 12, that our adversaries, they are not merely physical. It's not just about flesh and blood that we battle, but ultimately we are battling with the devil and evil powers. Now I know that can be hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes because we we live in a Western culture where things are are very materialistic and, and very physical. What we see is what we get. We have a tough time with things that are supernatural, things that we cannot see, things that maybe are a little bit mystical, things that are magical, things like that seem a little bit off to us. So thinking about the spiritual realm is difficult, but it is something that Paul wants the church to think about. He assumes that the church is going to be in battle and face these type of struggles with this spiritual realm. Now, just to help us through this a little bit, we understand by reading through Scripture that the devil himself was once an angel, and he, along with other rulers and, and powers and authorities and beings, they, they were created by God, but they rebelled against God. And that rebellion that took place in the spiritual realms, or as Paul puts it, in in the heavens, it spilled over into humanity. And we, we see that take place in page two of the Bible, don't we? Where even the serpent comes in and has tempted Adam and Eve, and they also rebel against God, causing chaos, right? Chaos enters the world, confusion enters the world what is taking place in our physical world that we can see has been influenced by a spiritual world that we we cannot see the things that take place in the heavens or the spiritual world is really where our battle is actually faced tim mackey who is a theologian says this about the evil powers and the devil in the the spiritual realm that is at work in our world. Paul wants his communities to know that their, their real enemy is never just another human, but the larger social, economic, political, and religious forces that govern and shape human existence. Paul, along with all Jews shaped by the biblical traditions, which Paul would be one, viewed these forces as manifestations of spiritual rulers authorities etc who are opposed to the cosmic reign of the messiah so we see even within things that shape and govern our world there is brokenness there is evil there is sin and there is a spiritual backdrop to all of it and that is where our true battle Lives. It's not with other humans. It's not with flesh and blood. We see some of these things we picked up on earlier when we studied this. We've been studying this book, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. We see the relationship between humanity and even the devil himself. It says this in verse 2 of chapter 2 in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to to the ruler of the power of the air, that would be the devil, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So before Christ, you weren't free. Let me just let you know, before Christ, you, you weren't free spiritually. You, you actually were tuned in had the same frequency of even the enemy himself, the power, the ruler of the power of the air. You were dead, that's what Paul says. You were dead and you are walking in your transgressions and you were in the same frequency with the devil himself. There is a combination of what is happening in the physical is because what is happening then in the spiritual, it matters that we understand who our enemy is. We need to know what the battle is about. Because to stand in this battle, to stand in this struggle, we have to stand in a power that is also spiritual, supernatural, that is not our own. We must battle in the power of God. You see, there's hope today. As we talk about these things, it can feel a little bit eerie. You can maybe feel a little bit overwhelmed even not knowing quite what to to do or how to process through the enemy in the spiritual realm. But the truth is that God defeated the enemy. He's already won the victory. The battle really belongs to him. He's defeated the enemy and his evil forces through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, we we studied this already, but I want to bring it back up because Paul is picking up these themes. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. And what does it say there? Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So Jesus in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm, through his death and through his resurrection, he's been now raised and put over every other ruler and authority that has been in rebellion to God. He is Christ, and Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is a title that says king. He is king in charge of all authority, of all power. He has won already. We have to learn how to battle in him, in His strength. It's not about you and your skill in this battle. You can't go to Planet Fitness enough to get strong enough uh, for this type of battle. You can't choose just to take the stairs on Sunday morning instead of the elevator coming up here and thinking that it's going to do enough for you for this battle. It's not about your skill. It's not about your talent. It's not about your might, about your wisdom. There's something supernatural that the church is speaking to, that requires a supernatural strength. We are to depend upon the power of the Lord. It goes on to say in in Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for who? For us, for us, the church. He is sitting and reigning and ruling on our behalf as we step into this battle with things that we cannot even see. We do not wrestle, though, in our own strength, but God's immeasurable, vast power. That's what it says here as he opens up this section. He says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. He's picking up on verses 18 and 19 in chapter 1. When he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strengths. His strength knows no ends. His might is mighty more mighty than anything that we could ever face or imagine. And Paul assumes that, that we are to go into this battle understanding the strength that we have in the Lord. It's not God's plan to have a sit back and to watch him destroy evil. It's not God's plan. Now, God's plan is to destroy evil by using the church. And so he gives us his strength to step into this battle. The question then, how are we strengthened by the Lord? What does that look like? Paul says to put on the full armor of God, and then he goes on to describe it in verses 14 through 17. So read this for you, Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet saddled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This armor that is mentioned we read it, and uh, many times we can, we can think about uh, our, our personal battles that we are facing. Maybe you're someone that is, is facing a battle right now, just loneliness. Maybe you feel like you've just been overwhelmed, and, and it, you feel all alone, and you feel, you feel like there's no one that you really can trust or lean upon. Maybe you're battling right now, and you, and you feel like you, just, you have not enough resources to make it through this next season. You don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from. And You feel like you're in this this battle, this this war, and and you you read as this ver- you read verses like this and think I've got to I've got to do my best to pull it together, and depend upon the Lord, and the, and, the, and to find His strength and to put upon His armor. But what we miss here is that this is written to the church. Matter of fact, the verbs in the Greek are all plural, and I think if we if we Miss seeing that it's written to a church. We misunderstand what what Paul is getting at, what God wants us to understand. I, I like thinking about this in the plural. It helps me understand the church. He would say then, you all stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteous like armor on your chest. And, you, and when your feet, all of your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, you all, I'm, I'm Southern, I like y'all a little better. So in every situation, y'all take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Y'all take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, the armor of God is given to the church, to do this battle. I think what happens is we many times isolate and try to struggle through things on our own, and that's not the way that it is designed. Designed to battle in community. Just to highlight one of these, um, the shield of faith here is a particular shield. I'm not a big military buff, but I'm going to try my best. Um, It's a military shield from what I understand. It covers most of you, and then this shield actually covers a little bit of the shoulder of the person on your right side. So it covers you, and it covers the person next to you. It doesn't cover your left shoulder. Why? Because there's someone standing next to you with a shield that's covering them, and then your left side, right? It's designed to be a shield that's in community. That's the picture of what the armor is and what it's been given to. It's been given to the church to to be together on mission, to battle together against the enemy. It's important that we see it this way because we have a problem, don't we? If we were honest, sometimes our understanding of the church is a little bit off. We have this problem of individualism that kind of runs rampant through our heart, and it becomes an idol. And our approach to life is often materialistic and consumer-driven, and unfortunately, we then have the same approach to the church. We see it as optional. <laughs> That's something that we may just attend for our own felt needs, a place where we can maybe network and maybe have some friendships, but we don't see it as a community that we have to have to be a part of his kingdom purposes. You see, if we understand that the the battle has been given to the church, it changes everything. The battle's been given to us, and we have to come together to be able to stand firm in the battle. This is about the church. And far too often our idol of individualism gets in the way. The lie of this idol says that life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm completely free from obligations or responsibilities to others. Completely free from obligations or responsibilities to others. Let me just tell you that the enemy will do his best to isolate you. That's that's one of the tactics, one of the schemes of the enemy, is to pull you away from the church. The enemy seeks to divide the church. That's where the harm is done, when you are on your own, Unable to stand because you're not standing in the strength of God that is given to the church. Isolation is one of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, Tim Mackey, who I mentioned earlier, says this. The church community, Paul wants the church community to know that the scheme of the devil are like flaming arrows aimed precisely at the unity and mutual interdependence of the church. Such schemes will always be large-scale and difficult to identify. It's one of those things where the enemy tries his best to, to wedge in division in the church between people, between individuals, and then there starts to become dissension, things said about one another. Before you know it, you start pulling away, the church starts splitting This is something that takes place slowly, but it is a tactic because it gets right at the very armor of God, the church itself, that has come together to be on mission. Paul's vision for the church, we talked about this, was unity. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, says, therefore I... The prisoner and the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace There is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all Paul's vision for the church was unity that we would be one people together because there is a mission that we are called to together, that we as the church are to battle against the enemy, knowing that Jesus is already one. So what do we do to make sure that we aren't people that are pulled away from the church, that we don't isolate, that we don't get caught up in this idol of individualism? How do we stand firm as the united church in Christ? Let's look to Jesus to answer that question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? We know because of sin. But why did, why did he die on the cross for sin? We know because he was submitted to the Father, right? The Father sent him to rescue us, we know that he was submitted to the Father, but why was he submitted to the Father? Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 27. This is said, as it talked about the husband and the wife uh, relationship, it says this in verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus died on the cross because he loves the church. He loves us. Jesus was submitting to his father because the father and Jesus loved the church. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her the church wasn't just a byproduct of the cross the church was the heartfelt reason why Christ went to the cross his death it brought us together with him cleansing us and uniting us with him without any spot or any wrinkle that was his love for us if jesus has died for us to be a part of the church then it should change the way that we then see the church. We too should love the church. But Jesus, he also died so that the church can stand in his strength. You see, the armor of God isn't just a few pieces that we pick up along the way. I I used to think that when I was younger. (laughs) I remember days before going to school, Thinking, all right, I'm about to go off to high school. It's a, it's a battlefield out there, right? Uh, I, need, I need Christ to be with me. I need to put on my, I put on my helmet. <laughs> I literally remember like praying through this. Like I had Jesus, cool. That's great. But then I need, I need the helmet too. I also need like the, the breastplate of righteousness, right? I need the, the belts, I remember being at school, like, okay, checking, making sure, thinking, all right, I, I need to remember that I have this on, my my, my my belt's still there, spiritually speaking, my pants are still up, good, great. Like, I remember thinking about these things as a high school student, right? I remember talking to my friends who were also part of my church youth group, like, you got your, you got your helmet on, you got your sword, right? <laughs> Crazy things, right? Like, Jesus plus, then the rest of this armor. I want you to see this. We're going to go through this pretty quickly, but... The imagery that is mentioned here, Paul didn't make it up. 99% of, of his comes from the book of Isaiah. I want you to see this. Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteous, righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He puts on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in a zeal as in a cloak. Isaiah 11 verse 5, righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his hips his waist. Isaiah 49, verse 2, he made my words like a sharp sword. Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaim peace, who bring the news of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. These are all verses in Isaiah that are prophecies about the king, the Messiah, Christ king that is to come. This is a picture of Jesus. And what this says to us is that when we are putting on the armor of God, we are putting on Jesus himself. It's not Jesus plus (laughs) a few pieces that we picked up along the way. It's Jesus himself, the king. That is on the throne above all rulers and, and authorities and dominions and evil powers. Like he's he's over it all, sovereign. We, we get to step into Jesus the warrior. His, his battle gear covers us. He covers us. The armor of God is Christ Himself. Richard Koken says this in his book, Ephesians, for you. It's important to recognize that since Christ defeated the devil on the cross, we are not embarking upon a new campaign to attack the devil. But instead, our battle is to stand in the victory of Christ. To keep faith in Christ. When we as the church come together on mission, our mission is to hold on to Jesus, and hold on to his church. And as we do that, we fight in the spiritual realm in ways that we don't even understand. So, what is our response today? I think we go back to verse 10 and 11 of chapter 6. This is much more than than just final words. I think this is Paul giving a response to the church as he's taken really six chapters. He didn't put the chapters in, but entire letter. to Let the church at Ephesus know who they are as a church. He says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. I think our response is to find strength in Jesus and his church. I think that's what he's calling us to. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Are you finding the strength of Christ? What does your relationship with the church look like? It matters. Are you finding strength In the church, Jesus died so that we can be a part of what he is doing. Jesus died so that we could become a great masterpiece that's in progress. Jesus died on the cross so so that we could literally change the world. And we do that by finding strength in Jesus and finding strength in his church. I'm going to invite Jake to come back. He's going to play a little bit for us as we prepare for worship. And In closing, I I want to bring back up the NASA piece to the USS Intrepid. I talked about the Intrepid serving as a recovery vessel for NASA in the 60s. To be more precise, the Intrepid served as the primary recovery vessel for NASA's first piloted Gemini mission. It was called Gemini 3. Unlike the the previous uh, Mercury capsules, um, which carried one astronaut, Gemini capsule carried two men. On March 23rd, 1965, helicopters from the Intrepid picked up astronauts John Young and Virgil Gus Grissom and their two-person capsule after their three-orbit, five-hour Space flight. of course this paved the way for many teams to come together and to go and to explore space they got to go further see more, discover more, understand more because they worked as a team it wasn't just a solo effort anymore I think there are places that God is calling this church to go to explore, to discover. There are things that God is wanting to do in our midst. but it's going to require all of us coming together as his masterpiece, as his church. I want to encourage us to think even over this Advent season, what it is meant for us that Jesus has come to us so that we can come together in Christ want you to take a posture of prayer and I'm going to ask a couple of questions before I pray. And I just want you to listen where you're at and um, hear what God might be saying might be saying to you. How are you living as a part of Jesus' church? What does your commitment to his church look like? Just listen to the Holy Spirit as He helps you answer. Second question, how are you praying in the Spirit? How are you praying for one another? speaks about prayer in this text and it's a big part of this battle. How are you praying listening to the Spirit? How are you making room to listen to the Spirit? How are you praying interceding for one another? Thirdly, where do you need to repent of the idol of individualism? You made it all about yourself. Where do you need to repent of the idol of
1: individualism?
0: Jesus didn't make it all about himself, did he? He died on the cross so that we could be together, so that we could be in Christ. And finally, where are you experiencing the strength of the Lord and standing firm Where are you experiencing the strength of the Lord and standing firm in him? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your work. I thank you that you are king, that you are above all. And even in the times where where life doesn't make sense, we can trust you. Even in times where we feel like things are so broken, we can trust that you are making things right. Thank you for being king of all. And Thank you that we get to stand in you, stand firm in you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people that put our strength in you, our God, that we would be a people that put our strength in the church that you died for, that you love. We'd be a people that understand the battle that we are in, the struggle that we are in, that victory happens through you, that victory happens through your church. And you will continue to make us a people that are together on mission for you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the church.